Hey everybody, welcome to Making Sense of It All with Jesse Stakes. This episode is being brought to you by Sawgrass Finance. Growing businesses face many roadblocks as they mature, especially access to capital to fund their expansion. Sawgrass Finance is funding the growth of American entrepreneurship by providing businesses with the flexible working capital to reach their goals that they need. At Sawgrass Finance, you get your business funding today while you're building the foundation of future bankability. Learn more at sawgrassfinance.com and don't forget to mention that you heard it here when you do. So this episode was a lot of fun for me. I have Steve Strum, financial advisor from Northwestern Mutual, joining me today to talk about all the things that keep business owners up at night. In Steve's world, each day is filled with potentially tough and uncomfortable conversations that deal with all the what-ifs that they could potentially face. I can tell you that this was definitely not one of those tough conversations. In fact, it was probably one of the easiest interviews I've ever done. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Steve Strum. Let's jump right into it. Steve, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Jesse. It's been good to know you and good to see you. Absolutely. We've known each other a long time now. And in a prior life, we used to do this together. I, you know, it's funny because we were just talking about, you know, drive time media and how long of a podcast. Uh, I literally, for all the people watching this or listening to this, I have a timer set just because we can say hello for a half hour and not actually say anything. So right. uh, great to be part, to collaborate with you again, man. Um, I've been watching your stuff, uh, making sense of it all. It's pretty cool. Uh, you know, the sense considering your, you know, universe that you and I survive in. But, um, you know, it's very neat to watch you putting out this content and I'm happy to be uh, on the podcast, man. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. You know, one of the things we always talked about when we did our show over at Buzz was that, you know, we never get to talk about you. We never get to talk about what you do and what you, you know, what you're all about. You're always putting the spotlight on somebody else, onto a business owner. So I'm very happy to be able to do it for you today. Um, that being said, you're a financial advisor over at Northwestern Mutual. And the the word financial advisor that's a huge umbrella. A lot of people, you know, they have different different thoughts when they hear the word financial advisor. You know, we'll go we'll go very broad for right now, but tell the audience what do you do? What is what is a financial advisor? What does Steve Strum do every day? Sure. Well, let's uh, maybe take a sidestep real quick and talk about, you know, the umbrella of financial advisors. It really falls down into really two different categories and, you know, a handful of products. So, the two categories are financial advisors that serve at the fiduciary standard, and then the ones that do not. So that's a big deal. And it came about in 2008 because of the financial crisis where they had some requirements. Now, of course, I had been serving at the fiduciary level before it was cool, if you will. But basically, the fiduciary advisor level, which most of the times is going to be some level of a fee-based advisor, uh, instead of charging commissions, they charge a fee, um, generally speaking, is the highest letter of the law. But inside of financial advisor, whether it's the fiduciary level or not, is the different services that they provide. There are what are known as product advisors. So a product advisor is somebody who's, you know, you're 35, you're married, two kids, you need, you know, life insurance, Roth IRA, you know, stuff like that. And then right. they're process advisor. Now, 
we still have financial products for sale, right? We still have the life insurance and the Roth IRA and the investment accounts and the rollovers. We still have all of the things that you would expect me to say, but the process advisor, which is what we do that's a little different, will actually try to capture, you know, what are your three, five, 10 year goals in life? Now, whether they're personal, professional, or financial, it could be any one of the three. And then what we do that's different is we actually create a plan that attacks their goals and the products are driven from the process versus the pro the the products being driving the process based off of where you're at. So more consultative and less product driven. Well, you know, and a lot of stuff we do. I know we were talking right before we started the podcast about some of the speaking engagements that I do with professional right. organizations. I was just in uh, Orlando last week doing one. And, you know, if you think about professional trade organizations, um, significant amounts of student loan debt. I make right. exactly zero dollars uh, helping somebody fix their student loans and they might not even be broken. But I feel that it is a moral obligation. You know, if you think about like an attorney, a doctor, accountant, financial advisor, you know, I mean, there's an opportunity for these people to be in, you know, mortgage territory is worth of debt. And I just don't believe I earned the right to say, hey, do you want to buy some whatever it is without addressing that elephant in the room? And I make exactly zero dollars to do it, but it's the right thing to do. No doubt. Well, and, and to your point, if you don't address it, it's going to be it's going to become a problem down the road. So if you want a client that's in good financial shape and if they're if they're where they should be when you're, you know, as, as far as when you're dealing with them, then you have to address it, too. It's not it's not one of those things to where, yes, they might not think it's the the important thing to talk about in that particular meeting. But if you don't address it now, you're going to have to address it five years, 10 years down the road. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of that, you know, the reason behind it, I know that we'll get into my why here in a minute, but, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I'm the first guy to put on the tie, right? You know, my family was, you know, firefighters working in hospitals, my brother's in the army, you know, I uh, decided it was, you know, I was going to go to school and then, you know, continue to grad school. I know how it feels to have a $150,000 piece of paper on my wall that says how smart I am. I know how it feels to have to make payroll. I just don't think that I can go to somebody and say, hey, you know, you need to you make all this money and you need to give me this much money. Right. You know, whatever piece of the pie that is allocated for Steve to help me make your goals. But if I know on the backside, if they've got a two hundred thousand dollar student loan debt and they let that thing ride for the 25 years, depending upon their interest rate, not only is that it, that loan has doubled since, you know, since they got it, if they pay it all off. But if they don't pay it off and they do some of the programs that are out there, nobody really realizes that 25 years later, that's an income tax event. So at least under current law, you know, which was changed in 2023 is, you know, with the student loan business, you have a $200,000 student loan debt. You do some one of the programs and you pay back 50. Well, that 150 that you didn't pay back plus the interest upon the time by which it gets um, forgiven, you get a 1099. Uh, and people are like, oh. I didn't realize you just that. you just made everybody hit the pause button and call their CPA is what you just did. <laughs> well, there are solutions. And so I'm sure there's a link on this tab somewhere down here for me to for them to call me. No, there are there are really great programs that that are out there. And I actually do this for free because I think that it's important. Um, half the time I'm talking to the professional trade organizations, I'm talking about debt. And um, we actually partner with some financial institutions like more in the banking and you know loan world uh, that actually have a service to help them understand that. And, you know, here's the power behind that. Right. And I know that, you know, this is just a piece of what we do, but this is a big piece of where we're different. So let's just talk about how I approach that client and say, hey, you're an attorney, you're a doctor, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Steve Strum. Yay. 
uh, and we start talking about the thing, and we, you know, we get to the debt. And most advisors will be like, mm, okay, great, you know, student loan debt, awesome. Oh, wait, they make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Uh, you need to give me twenty grand a year or whatever. Uh, but if we deal with the student loan debt correctly, it is in their best interest. And so, you know, for example, under the current programs and some of the legal changes that have happened in student loans, um, I do a lot of work here. And last year, we had an individual that was, you know, a couple few hundred thousand dollars in debt just by going and recalibrating how this individual's credits were being credited on the existing program, uh, something like 90% of the student loan debt removed. Uh, uh, just half hour phone call. Uh, now, that's not typical. That's definitely unique. On the other right. scale, by the scale, you know, a, a doctor, you know, up in the Northeast uh, would did not make sense to stay on it and ended up saving them about $50,000 of interest and lowered their payment. What they did was they took the differential in the payment, they put it into an investment account and let that thing cook for 25 years. So when that income tax event actually occurs, there's money that they've been saving all along the way that will allow them to address the tax event. So it doesn't freak them out, you know, both now as they're trying to pay it back, but then they get this giant, you know, smack in the face with debt in 25 years. Well, and I think it brings up a point as far as I think people, it becomes such a big item when people start trying to wrap their head around it. And if, like you said, if they're a professional, if they're a doctor or if they're an attorney, whatever they are, they're really good at doing what they do and they focus on it every single day and they're helping other people out, but they don't, they don't focus on helping themselves. They don't realize that this could cause them a very large problem down the road. So I think the things that you're bringing up, they're incredibly important. And I think that it's, it's, you're, you're their advisor. You're the person who's helping them. So I think if any, if, if nothing else today, if we, if we accomplish the goal of people hearing that mission accomplished. <laughs> you know, and, and if that's the only thing that we get before the, we get tuned out on the podcast, uh, for, for all, <laughs> For all your listeners, uh, you know, if there is a question out there about this looming student, and it's causing a lot of anxiety. I mean, it is a $3 trillion situation that we're dealing with. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's links to bios on the on the website. Um, I'm happy to answer the question and, you know, I'll, I'll give them at least my thoughts and how I can help. And of course, I would never charge somebody for that because that's just the right thing to do. No doubt. No doubt. So that kind of, you know, you mentioned it and you talked about your family a little bit and where you came from. But yes, sir. I, I one of my favorite things to do on this show is always to kind of figure out, you know, why do people do what they do? You know, what's you know, what's their why are they passionate about what they chose as their profession? And so I'm going to ask you the same question. You know, what is it that inspired you to become a financial advisor at Northwestern Mutual? Sure, that's a great question. Um, and I'll try to be as concise as humanly possible. So, uh, you know, in school, I was uh, my, you know, I went to University of North Carolina, Wilmington. I was in business uh, information technology school. Right. So like computer stuff. Uh, came back to South Florida. My uncle um, ran a, a flooring company and uh, he had some heart issues and he served in a very paternal role for me back when, you know, my mom was a single mom and um, Uncle Joe, so to speak. I uh, got an opportunity to go back down to South Florida um, as an adult, run the, the carpet store um, and we sold that company. I quickly learned the difference between a P and an L, right? So, <laughs> right, profit loss. I thought I was going to get this big check, right? Like uh, <laughs> anybody in your demographic that remembers uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Uh, I was going to be the carpet king of Miami versus the sausage king of Chicago. Anyway, I thought I was going to get a check, right? I was like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm 23 years old, master of the universe. I'm going to get a check and I'm going to be great. Well, I got a check. Right. And I got a little check and I was like, oh, well, that's going to cover rent. But I didn't get a really nice area rug out of the deal. So, um, you know, we sold the company. I went to work for telecom 
And then I uh, I came to Jacksonville, actually, with the Sprint and Nextel merger. It was really uh, an interesting opportunity. I was very, very young. I was 28 years old, one of the youngest managers out there. And I finally, I get to Jacksonville, and I'm in charge of a $30 million P&L. And uh, that was an interesting merger because the technology just didn't connect right. So the Nextel customer and the Sprint customer were very different, right? You know, the Sprint customer is the guy in the tie, at least historically. And the Nextel walkie-talkie thing is for, you know, predominantly for like construction-based, right? So my yep. job was to try to help knit two completely different universes together. And then all of a sudden, there's this young lady who comes walking into the building. And we're talking about telecom solutions. We're not just talking about cell phones, right? You're talking about cell phones, you're talking about internet stuff, you know, all the racks and all the things that make all the, all this work, right? And right. You know, 20 years ago, or so, yeah, almost 20 years ago. So obviously, the world has changed dramatically, but none of their stuff worked. And they came in, and you know, this individual was very unhappy. And uh, I solved the problem. I was like, well, give me 24 hours. I solved the problem, got the finance stuff corrected, and uh, everything worked. Well, the CEO comes walking in and, uh, you know, he's like, hey, you know, are you Steve Strom? I'm like, yes, sir. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm the, you know, the CEO of this financial institution. And you're not a cell phone guy, are you? And I said, no, actually, he goes, what are you, are you in grad school? I was like, yeah, I'm in grad school. What are you in grad school for? I was like, finance and accounting. And he goes, I'd like to take you to lunch. Uh, and then we went to lunch and uh, I was had the opportunity to uh, become a um, uh, probably one of the youngest executives in the local banking and credit union space back in 07, right before okay. 2008. That was fun. And uh, and so then I'm in grad school. I'm in banking. It's 2007, 2008. Uh, the boss's wife gets breast cancer. And here I am, the CEO uh, interim of this organization. And I had no idea. I called my dad. I was like, Dad, I'm president of the company. What do I do? And he goes, I forget I'm the president of the company. And he goes, well, the boss's wife got breast cancer. Now, it wasn't, you know, they didn't just flip me the keys and they're like, we'll see you later because, you know, it's $130 It's $130 million and not your money. I was about to say, they've got a bunch of clients as well. So I can't imagine they were just. <laughs> right? we, had, we had a great team. Anyway, um, it was really a baptism by fire and um, it was it was a really awesome experience. So I kind of went from telecom financial services recruited into financial universe and then through the experience of, you know, the downturn, I actually had the opportunity to work with companies like Northwestern Mutual, New York Life, Merrill Lynch, and we were designing some very interesting products um, in order to help stabilize the credit union. Well, the great news is the boss's wife did not pass from breast cancer. And um, that was, I mean, obviously that's the most important thing. And sure. uh, comes back, right? And they go through transition plan. And uh, I start getting the phone calls. And uh, you know those phone calls, right? They start getting them like, hey, you're, you know, Steve Strum, savior of the credit union, blah, 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 blah. And of course, I'm like, well, no, it's it's the team. It's not me. Anyway, uh, I ended up getting, you know, opportunity to interview some really great folks. And, and a gentleman uh, from Northwestern Mutual, who was the managing partner at the time, was the most honest and sincere person. And I was like, you know what? I'm 34 or five years old. If I'm going to make the jump, I'm going to make the jump now. Because uh, if I jump and fail, at least I have time to recover. And uh, 13 years later, um, I'm still happy to report that um, I'm following the opportunity to serve other people. And, you know, throughout life, your why becomes their why. Because, sure. you know, oftentimes people, of course, the, the stock market is very sexy, right? Stock funds, mutual funds, you know, it's always fun. Um, you know, pie charts, it's great. Um, but some of the things that we do more in the estate planning world, which is the insurance stuff, estate planning with attorneys, tax planning with lawyers and stuff like that. Um, when, when those things happen, whenever you're, you know, wherever you're at on your universe, if, you know, grandma dies at 85, it's a terrible experience. If your, you know, minor child dies, it's also a terrible experience, but it's a different kind of terrible, right? Uh, because it's a different mindset. Grandma's 85, lived a great life. It's terrible. 
um, my minor child or, you know, has gone too early. And so one of the things that we do is we actually, I can't remove anxiety, but what I can do is I know that if we've done a great plan for folks, and this has really become the why over the last, gosh, 20 years is the stories of all the people that believed in me to make sure that in case something goes sideways, that they're going to be okay. And I have lost count of how many funerals and I have gone to everyone that every client ever has passed away, even if I had to fly there, do the funeral and come back, because I know I try to be in the back of the room, but I know that my presence there will remove at least some of the financial anxiety. I mean, you don't walk into a situation like that with like, you know, the publisher's clearinghouse check, but right. You, you, you represent some level of stability and peace. And, you know, the amount of folks that I've had feedback on where it's like, gosh, man, you know, this is terrible, but I know that we're not going to have to make these financial decisions. Like, I don't know, moving somebody out of a house as a child because they can't afford it. Well, you also make it human rather than, rather than just looking at paperwork from Northwestern Mutual, they're looking at Steve Strum from Northwestern Mutual, their, their guy, if you will. So it makes it human. It gives them a person to talk to. And there's trust there. When somebody cares enough to to be there for something like a funeral, then there's trust that's built there. Yep. And it's uh, you know, it's it's always interesting the feedback I get because whenever I do go to those type of things, and it's not just funerals, you know, weddings, you know, obviously, anytime when a client invites me to something that's important in their life, if I can make it. I will absolutely make it. And uh, I, I don't know that anybody would know Steve Strum and think of the funeral guy. I know that they, yeah. people know you're the life of the party, not the downer. No, I know. <laughs> I, I always go there. I always go there as friends of the family, and it's always interesting because you know I uh, you know like if if I go to uh, like a wedding, of course, you go with Tiffany. Uh, you know, go with my wife, and uh, if uh, if I go to some of the other ones, sometimes it's just me. But I'm always a friend of the family, and it's always. Sure. Especially when I show up alone, what people's reactions are like, okay, who's this guy in the corner that's dressed all in black? So anyway, uh, but no, it's, uh, you know, my why has become, you know, service to others, uh, whether it's my family, whether it's my community, the church, my client base. Uh, I mean, even uh, the TV show that you and I did for years, I don't think we ever talked about what we did ever, which in the beginning. Not at all. It's all I did about. How can we create a platform to shine a big, bright light on other people by which they can talk about how great they are? And at the end of the day, you know, it's the whole Zig Ziglar. You help everybody get what you want and eventually you'll get what you want. And um, and I've just really put all my chips on service of others and uh, professionally, personally. And, you know, it's uh, it's really great that I've had so many opportunities to make good friends because of it. You being one of them. No doubt. No doubt. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, one of the things that we have done a lot together, and I think it's, you know, and it swings both ways, but we've dealt with business business owners and, and people who are people who run their own business, people who have family businesses, and their why is a little bit different than your than your typical person who is concerned about their family. Not that that is not a big part of it, because it is, but they have other things that they're concerned about as well. And can you talk talk a little bit about you know, the things that you do for business owners that make sure that they have security for themselves, for their family and for the, you know, for the basically for the for the, you know, the ongoing life of that organization that they create. Yeah, it's a super hot topic. I mean, you know, the statistics, but your audience may not know there's still, you know, after COVID and the great resignation, I guess, is how they call it these days. Uh, you know, you've got 10,000 people a day leaving the workforce. Um, no doubt. They're, they're aging out. And you and I, I mean, I'm, you know, in, I'm 47 this year. 
And uh, you and I, between that 35 and 55 group, there's just not a lot of people because they're, you know, between 1975-ish and 1989-ish, there was a a lower amount of births because of the amount, uh, because of the financial conditions of the economy. There's a correlation, except for COVID, that uh, when uh, the economy, <laughs> when the economy bad, there to explain that one, Steve. There, there was nothing else to do. So uh, <laughs> right. So uh, there was, uh, yeah. Whenever the economy is not so great, um, their birth rate goes down. So you've got a bunch of boomers, right? You know, we all come, they come back from war and, you know, they haven't seen their loved ones in a month or two or, you know, nine months later. Now, all of a sudden you have a bunch of kids, the boomer generation. And then you and I in this X, Y generation, birth rates were lower just because of the economic circumstances in the 70s, et cetera. And now all of a sudden you got all these people back here, these young kids, young 30 year olds that I mean, young kids, right? Millennials now are 30 and 35 years old um, to speak to how old we are, sir. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of us, right? So the business owner. So the business owner, I set that as the stage because the business owner demographically has another child, which is their business, whether it's construction, whether it's a technology company, you know, they really have born another child. In many ways, they look at that as a child that produces revenue for the family. Well, it's a great point. There's a couple things, right? First, how much is that child worth? Because eventually they're going to have to sell it. Now, imagine selling one of your children. Um, probably not something you want to do. Depends on what they did with the car. But right, to predominantly, you don't want to sell your children. For everybody here on the call, we <laughs> do not want to sell our children. So uh, one of the things that they are struggling with was how much of that company, what's the value? Who's right. The right? Of course, and we also don't want you know the IRS to be the largest beneficiary of their life's hard work. And with the tax code changing here uh, at the end of 2025, you know that's going to be something that's going to be a challenge. So they've got this business that's provided amazing things for their family. And what we help them understand is the clarity. Saying, okay, do you want to exit the business? Do you want family to own it? Do you not want family to own it? Do you want to maintain control of it? Which the answer is yes. So you can be the old guy drooling in the corner, sweeping on the floor until you're ready to give it up. How much is it worth? How do you find a market for it? And then how do you finance it with, uh, you know, with could, could be significant dollars? And then during this operation, if it's done well and it's a 10-year plan, I hate to be the boogeyman, but what happens if something goes sideways to you or your successor? What do we do in order to mitigate that? And so I really help business owners understand that their business is going to live into perpetuity by which they can keep control of it and get a price that's fair uh, because, you know, they think it's like, you know, worth up here. And of course, you know, it's maybe not so much, uh, but help understand that clarity so that they can be confident with what is their largest asset uh, that they have used their lifetime to build. Does it and how does it continue to provide benefits generationally? Because if I do it right, you know, I talked to, you know, Jesse Stakes, you know, Jesse, you may not know your great grandchildren, but they're going to know your name, right? Sure. And it's really cool because I've had the opportunity to do this with, uh, you know, clients over the years where I love that my favorite conversation is, it's no longer about you. It's about your great grandchildren. And of course, their kids are like, you know, eight. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Great grandchildren. Like, yeah, here's the math. Here's the numbers. You're going to be fine. Your kids are going to be fine. If we do it right, your grandkids and your great grandkids are going to be fine, and they're going to remember what you did to change the entire dynamic of the family forever. Or 
they could spend all the money and uh, you know squander it. So it's uh, we don't want we don't go with the fear, we go with the opportunity. But it's really cool to have that dialogue, and I I've had the opportunity to do that on multiple occasions. Well, and it, my mind goes in a million different directions as you're talking because there's everything that you said is 100 percent valid, and it's and it's and it, they're all very fair, true points. One of the biggest things that I notice is that business owners don't engage someone like yourself early enough in the process. They they are so focused on running their business and they are so focused on getting it off the ground and getting out of that survival mode and into thriving as a business owner that they don't think about these things. They don't put these things in place. And so they're they're having to go back and make corrections in the middle of it, in the after after establishing the business or after after getting their kids involved. They're, they're having to make all these corrections in the like kind of as they're going down the road at 100 miles an hour, rather than putting them in place in the very beginning when they're when they when they have that time to think when they have that 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 headspace, because it's just not things that pop up until, oh, my God, I have something that's valuable. Now, what do I do with it to make sure that it's here for my kids, grandkids and great grandkids? Well, I also don't have any money. <laughs> so true. The other side, right? <laughs> like they don't have, you know, I, I can't tell you how many business owners that I've had the opportunity to serve. And they're like, Steve, I can't buy the disability insurance policy to cover if my if I get hurt and my business doesn't get the lights turned out because I can't afford it. Everything is going back into the business. Right. So just because, you know, you have somebody that you work with professionally, it doesn't mean the dollars are going to be huge. There are so many clients that I have started, had the opportunity to serve that said, okay, what's the future value of your company, right? You go through and you do the math and it's like, oh, here's the value of your company. And of course, they're like, there's no way. And I said, well, you know, this is what you told me. Here's the math. And over time, you kind of review that and they get like the, a different opinion. But, you know, just because you're a business owner that's starting a business that, you know, myself included for years, I paid my staff more than I paid me because it was all about making sure the business was operational and we had people to serve clients so we could grow the business in the long game. But it doesn't mean just because it, you're starting a business and budgets are tight that it precludes you from doing some of the basics, right? Now, as you make more money, one of the things that I have found I do a lot of work with for business owners, I do actually, in some cases, talk to their lawyer and their CPA more than right. I talk to because I can do a great job designing funding strategies and I can do a great job of making money, but I defer from the, to the experts, whether it's a state tax law, whether it's accounting law, whether it's, you know, write-offs. I always, everybody always wants me to give a CPA opinion and I will actually get their CPA on the phone um, and, and get that opinion. I'll deliver it with the CPA. But what I have found often is trying to help business owners understand that there's different pockets of money. And depending upon how the accounts are structured, some of them actually can become a write-off. So it's it's still their money, but they do have the ability to, you know, whether it's, you know, defensive planning in insurance universe or offensive planning, like in a 401k, that they do get to use their money and then deduct it. And if they're a business owner, sometimes they get to deduct it from the business and from their personal income. So it's not all about using all of their capital. It's observing the tax laws to make sure that they are efficiently and effectively taking advantage of what's the law of the land. No doubt. Well, and along those lines of people not being able to afford things when they start a business or, you know, as far as educating people, you do a tremendous amount of speaking engagements. You do a lot to help people that they may not be a client right now. They might not be a client for years, but you're you're lending your expertise. You're giving you're giving your 
you know, your your professionalism to organ trade organizations, to to people, you know, in whether it's whether it's attorneys and in the, the bar associations or other industries, you're out there and you are educating people on what's available and what they potentially should be doing as they can. Yes, that yes, that is I do I do a lot of those. Um and it's interesting that you mentioned the bar, right? I just got back from an event. Um, you know, lawyers are such a great example because you know, the reality is, is that, you know, someone in the legal profession is a target client for myself and, and for you mm -hmm. and many providers, right? You have high income, great capacity, uh, intellectual people uh, that are trained in the art of persuasion. So, you know, you're getting into, you know, some debate of the letter it, or the word if, right? Uh, that does occur. But, uh, you know, there's a duality there because there's a lot of attorneys that would be great clients. But there's also a lot of folks in the legal profession that serve a lot of great clients. And I have just put out content. And, you know, I actually got registered many years ago with the Florida Bar to provide continuing legal education. Uh, I'm worth six credits. I think I'm one of the highest, if not the highest, non-lawyer accredited CLE provider in the state, or at least was upon renewal. And, you know, the topics we cover are the topics that they can actually use in their practice, sometimes for themselves but then also something that they can use for the business owner they're serving, right? So whether it's about debt management as the lawyer or, you know, investing, you know, stock market after Corona and, you know, all that changed, or I'm a lawyer now, what basic financial planning or into the business universe of I'm a business owner now, what, or how do I, and how do I value a company or how do I transition it, whether it's family or um, a third party, or, you know, I sell it to my employees, you know, things like that. And so those speaking engagements, they're always free, right? I never I never charge, uh, and I never talk about you know you need to buy these products. It's always about educating people on something that is the hot topic of the day. No doubt. Well, and kind of along those lines, the hot topic of the day. I think the current market is somewhat unique. I mean, whether it's on the banking side or just in the economy in general, there's a lot of question marks out there. And I think that one, you know, one of the things that that I see on a regular basis, especially in Florida, is that people are starting to become underinsured. Are you seeing that in your in your market? Are you seeing that the pe that people are underinsured in your world? Or are you seeing that people are adequately insured? Uh, you know, that's a great question. Um, because, you know, in insurance universe, there's two kinds, right? There's like retail insurance, which is your car insurance, your life insurance, your homeowner's insurance, something needs to happen in order for you to get paid. And then on the other side, there's institutional insurance products, things like, you know, permanent insurance contracts or bank owned life insurance, right? right. Where they do different things. So the, the retail stuff is stuff that's used for, I'm driving my car down the road. Somebody hits me, my car gets fixed. Um, you know, I have life insurance. If I die prematurely, that kind of stuff happens. And then you've got estate planning stuff over here that has a little bit more permanence. But what I find is that we do a calculation of the need to educate people on what their lifetime income probability is. And we find that it's a little bit, not necessarily of a taboo subject, but it's very uncomfortable. Right. And, you know, people are, you know, can you ever have enough insurance? No. Right. You know, can the check be too big if somebody walked into the said funeral with that? Of course not. But what we do is we try to find the right amount between budget and comfort, because, you know, talking to more ta about mortality to somebody the age of 65 is terrible. You know, people, no doubt. people would and have discussed their intimate love lives before they discuss that, because the fear of that is it is very real. And um, 
you know, of course, statistically, right, there's 11% chance you're going to die underneath the age of 65. And, you know, in the disability universe in my world, it's about 40 to 50%. So flip of a coin. But the thing on the other side that we're seeing a lot of challenges with in your underinsurance question is that people are living longer. And right. long-term care business is a big deal. You know, that's something in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, married couple, 80 90 percent chance that one of the two of them is going to need some sort of you know assisted care and that's become a very big topic because the cost of insurance uh, health insurance and, and care is increasing faster than the cost of inflation and you know you and i we can live 30 years in retirement where our great grandparents they probably lived five so there's a there's a pretty big issue out there, not so much from the under insurance. Of course, there's always, you know, you always buy more insurance, but really in how insurance universe, whether it's the car insurance stuff, the life insurance disability while you're working or the, you know, the long term care stuff as you start getting older, um, how all those things kind of work together has really been something that a lot of people have been asking because, you know, you don't want to be insurance poor. But at the same time, you don't want to have a situation where something goes sideways, and you're unprepared. No doubt. Well, and, and to your point, I mean, I deal a lot more with with the with the property insurance type stuff and trying to figure out if people can even get it in the com- in the commercial world lately, or you know whether it's workers comp, different things that a business owner has to get. But at the same time, all of insurance, to your point, not just one type of policy. People are living longer. Attorneys, you know, we just talked about them in a good way, but they are also suing business owners for a larger amount of money, especially in Florida. There's, you know, there have been new laws that are repealed laws, repealed protections for business owners that it's potentially costing them more on a on a lawsuit against like a slip and fall. Uh, there's so many things right now that are that are putting more pressure on an insurance company, and therefore they're putting more pressure on their policyholders. Just just by the nature of it, the math doesn't work out if they don't. If they don't collect more money, then the math doesn't work out. Insurance company goes out of business. So I think there is a there's a lot of question marks around it right now. I think that business owners and consumers alike, they see a policy going up in price and they get mad about it and they blame the insurance company. Well, blame life. Life has changed. Life is life is very different today, to your point, than it was 40, 50 years ago. Absolutely. It's a, it is a brave new world. I mean, just the, you know, the velocity of money, right? A lot of people don't even understand what that is. To give you some perspective, kind of flipping into like the stock market, right? So 1987, uh, the worst stock market dropped since uh, the Great Depression. The stock market, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, dropped by 500 points in one day, caused chaos, like chaos. Um, and now when you're looking at it, we have 500 point swings in the stock market as part of daily operations. The actual, it's called the velocity of money, which is the speed by which money it changes, has gotten into a completely different universe. And with the advent of technologies, computer assisted, you know, trading in the stock market, you know, there it's a completely different world. Um, and whether it's uh, you know insurance universe or investment universe, it is definitely important for people to stay current on their financial plan. In you know, in my world, whether it's a me or somebody like me. Um, you know, you got to keep on that stuff because it changes so much and protecting liability to your point uh, with business owners. Far too often, they just hold a bunch of cash in their business because they they feel comfortable with that. Right. That's it's that fear of the unknown. They just they, they 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 pull in tight and they hold on. But that litigious event happens. Right. And, you know, somebody needs to go through that kind of conversation. You know, that holding cash in the business name does have the opportunity to be listed on the lawsuit. However, right. 
you are wise as a business owner and you start dispersing some of that money to you as the business owner under the appropriate business structure, whether it's LLC, S Corp, C Corp, et cetera, you know, it, it does have the ability to limit that liability. And of course, you know, back to insurance policy, go, you know, whoever your PNC guy is, go make sure you have an umbrella to kind of create that wall. Um, I don't, you know, recommend any business owner not having at least a million dollars of an umbrella policy, which basically covers any gaps. You know, my, one of my team members drives down the road during work hours, gets in a car accident and somebody dies, which we don't want to happen. Instead of them coming after the business, my personal assets, you know, I carry an additional above and beyond my car insurance of, uh, I believe it's a million, it might be two now, um, in order to protect that type of situation. And it's not just about protecting me, it's making sure that whoever I might get into some sort of an entanglement with, whether it's Steve as a human or somebody in the business, that, you know, I have resources to adequately care for somebody, um, as well as make sure to protect my own assets from being personally actioned. No, no doubt. I, we could talk about this stuff forever. And I think it's, I mean, there's so many stories, there's so many situations that happen where it is, there's such a tremendous value to have, you know, a resource and a partner like yourself working for them and advocating for them on their behalf. I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about something that you do. And we just, we mentioned it a couple of times here, but you host a TV show over at Buzz TV and you have for a long time. How did that start? Not by, not by a little bit about it. Not by myself. <laughs> there happens to be another guy on this podcast that uh, also hosted with me for a minute. Yeah, so the Jacksonville Buzz. Uh, it's a it's quite the interesting story. So before I came to Northwestern Mutual, uh, when I was at the bank, I was on a lot of boards, uh, a lot of charity stuff. Right, uh, the the CEO and vice president, lieutenant. You know, a lot of that responsibility is um, you know philanthropic, and I've always had a philanthropic um, you know arm in my life. When I came to Northwestern, um, you know, my ability to serve on the boards just it became difficult, right? Because sure. if you're a you know, stockbroker guy, insurance guy, whatever, whoever you are as financial advisor, but if I get a call from a client, I'm like, hey, you know, we need to trade a hundred thousand dollars worth of Apple, something like that, and I'm at a board retreat. Okay, uh, the next time it happens, then they're like, okay, are you a philanthropic guy? Film, film, film. You know, are you a philanthropist or are you a stock, you know, you know, stockbroker guy? And so I had to kind of deboard myself. And uh, what was really cool was uh, actually behind me here is, ja you know, Jacksonville and anybody who is in the area, um, you know, you can't go downtown and see all the murals. Uh, my team actually sponsored one of those murals. It's on Main and Forsyth. And uh, it basically was a really neat thing for us to bring culture to Jacksonville, which then brings, you know, restaurants and bars to the downtown core. It's all part of the revitalization project that you're seeing starting to you know take hold. And this is, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and I, I get a call from a gentleman that you happen to know uh, about hosting a TV show. And I was like, TV show? I was like, about what? Because I don't know. I hadn't gotten that far yet. And I was like, <laughs> right, right. Exactly true. That's that, I think that is actually 90% true. I'm pretty sure. Maybe 80 this year far out. Anyway, it was just a, you know, we're going to put a bunch of business leaders together and we're going to interview people and put a, bunch, a bright light. And I said, OK, I want to do military businesses. I want to do charities, lawyers, doctors, you know, et cetera. And you right. Know, seven years ago uh, and uh, took Northwestern Mutual two years to approve it. I do try to operate compliantly as much as possible uh, because they just wanted to make sure that, you know, I have a, a mouthpiece and a voice and a camera that I'm not doing some things that I should not be doing. Sure. Part of filming, you know, like, gosh, I think it's seven years ago now. And it basically is an, it's, it, it is a morning show that is focused expressly on what other people are doing in the community oftentimes folks that may not have the budget to have television production and uh, we shine a big bright light on what they're doing in order to give back. 
Nice. Well, and I know you guys do a wonderful job. The production is excellent. The people who run the studio are tremendous. Like like Steve said, I definitely participated with him for about three years. We did a show over there, and I can't speak highly enough about those folks. They do it. They do a tremendous job shining a light on Jacksonville and all the all the citizens that are doing amazing things within it. So, they, uh, they make Steve, lot, they make me look a lot smarter than I am, man. It does take. <laughs> So th- all of that being said, you yes. know, it, if if people want to get a hold of you and they want to they want to have a conversation with Steve Strum about their own personal situation, about their business, or if they just want to join you over at Buzz, what's the best way to get a hold of you? You know what? That's a great question. I am probably the most Googleable person on the planet. Um, if you go to my website, which is, you know, the Stephen.strum at nm.com, you know, easily Google me, you'll find me. Uh, if you're on the social media of your preference, it's really easy. It's a uh, hashtag, my first name, last name, Steve Strum. You will actually find uh, me uh, or potentially my son, who's a battle bot competitor, which is probably a topic for another podcast. Uh, or, you know, it's either me or a podiatrist in Minnesota. So, uh, yeah, you know, I am easily accessible on my website, you know, stephen.strum at nm.com. The hashtag Steve Strum is easy to find me. And then, of course, you know, call me, cell phone, 904-505-8852. And then uh, I'm easy to connect with if you find me and you want to you be on the show. Uh, you know, if you're a business owner in Jacksonville, love to have you. Uh, we can schedule it easily through the, you know, the website. And then, of course, if it's Steve Strum Financial Advisor guy, um, you know, I'm happy to connect and, uh, you know, see how I can be a resource. I, well, and you're just that. You're an incredible resource, and we really appreciate you coming on the show. Steve, thanks. Thanks for coming. Thanks for thanks for agreeing to be a guest. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, spend this time with you once again, my friend. No doubt. Talk soon. Yes, sir. I'll tell you, it's not always the sexiest thing to talk about, but it's absolutely necessary. I'll make sure that you have Steve's information in case you'd like to sit down and have some of those tough, necessary conversations that we all need to have sooner than later in our professional lives so that we make sure that the people we love and the things that we have created are taken care of no matter what happens. That's going to do it for us today. I'll catch you guys next time.